Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to the Caixin Syndica Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Syndica Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, the news. That trade war we thought was ending? It didn't. Much-watched talks between President Trump and Vice Premier Liu He in Washington last week came and went, with both sides announcing next to nothing. What that means is that the 10% tariff the U.S. was imposing on 250 billion of Chinese goods has now risen to 25%, and Trump said the remaining 325 billion in imports the U.S. receives from China will receive the same treatment if a deal isn't reached within a month. Though China vowed to retaliate, both sides kept the rhetoric positive. Trump tweeted nice things about Xi, and Liu He was civil and optimistic in his prospects for an eventual deal. But the bottom line, the thing is dragging on. Coffee stimulates the brain, and it looks like it tickles the wallet too. Investors have shown greater than expected interest in China's Starbucks challenger Luckin Coffee, oversubscribing the company's U.S. IPO several fold. Separate sources close to the matter told Caixin. Luckin is aiming to raise 500 million U.S. dollars in the offering, setting a price range of 15 to 17 U.S. per American depository share, according to the company's updated filing last week. Based on strong demand, the underwriters could sell millions of additional shares and raise as much as $77 million more. The company would then be valued between $3.7 billion and $4.2 billion. Luckin is expected to price the IPO on May 16th and begin trading a day later, Caixin learned. Netflix is acquiring the rights to another show from Alibaba's Yoku video service, increasing efforts to serve Chinese viewers around the world. The U.S. streaming giant purchased the rights to the rom-com I Hear You. Netflix will stream 24 episodes of the show in 190 countries starting May 15th, Alibaba said in a statement. Financial terms were not disclosed. Netflix has been investing in Chinese language programming for distribution outside China, where local foreign streaming services are unable to operate without a local partner. Demand for that content is growing, and entertainment companies want a bigger slice of the market. It is the second content deal the companies have struck as Alibaba seeks to become the partner of choice for U.S. companies trying to reach Chinese consumers. 
It seems that things weren't happening down under for U.S. commerce giant JD.com. Just over a year after opening an office in Melbourne, China's second largest online retailer has quietly shuttered the outfit. That same office had opened with fanfare last year, including backing from the local government. The office wasn't peddling Chinese goods to Australians, but rather helping local Australian merchants to sell their goods to Chinese consumers hungry for imports. The fact of the matter is that JD.com has come under growing pressure to show investors it can be profitable, following years of losses since its 2014 New York listing. The company has said its delivery unit is losing major money, and that part of the business could go bust in two years if things don't turn around soon. It also does not help that founder Richard Liu is being sued by a U.S. university student who is accusing him of rape, which JD denies. China is beefing up control of the deadly pig contagion ravaging its mammoth pork industry, ordering mandatory testing for African swine fever at more than 10,000 slaughterhouses nationwide. Beginning July 1st, abattoirs must routinely test all batches of hogs representative of the property from which they came. This comes on the heels of other measures public health authorities have instituted to attempt to stop the disease. Slaughterhouses must now buy diagnostic equipment or arrange a third party to perform the tests. By May 15th, every slaughterhouse will be required to have a veterinarian present to supervise testing. Though African swine fever isn't known to harm people, these stricter measures are aimed at safeguarding the food chain and environment from the virus. The consumption by hogs of contaminated food waste has been implicated in the spread of the disease, which has reached nearly every province of China since August. China's rural migrant worker population grew at a decade-long low last year. China's rapid urbanization is likely to account for the slow growth, experts said. The number of people with a rural household registration, or HUKO, which entitles people access to housing and local public services, has decreased by more than 10 million each year since 1998, which means more people are becoming, quote, city residents instead of, quote, rural migrants. Rising rents and population aging have driven many migrants back to their hometowns as well, while rapid growth in infrastructure and property investment in developing areas have acted as pull factors too. The former chairman of famed Chinese liquor maker Mao Tai has been removed from his seats on a key governmental advisory body, with a source saying that the dismissal may have been related to him abusing his power and manipulating the market. Yuan Renguo, the ex-chairman of Guizhou Maotai, has been dismissed from his position as a standing committee member of the Guizhou Committee of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference. Yuan has also been relieved from two other positions on the committee, according to an official statement that didn't offer a reason for Yuan's dismissal. But a source told Caixin that it was related to his abuse of power in designating dealers, leading to an artificial inflation in the price of Maotai liquor during his tenure as chairman from 2011 to 2018. China decriminalized homosexual acts in 1997, and the Chinese Society of Psychiatrists stopped labeling same-sex attraction as an illness in 2001. But China's sexual minorities still face significant difficulties in their everyday lives. Just last month, China's Twitter-like Weibo reversed a brief ban on a community page titled Les, which is short for lesbian, after a social media outcry. During the ban that lasted for about five days, netizens took to hashtags such as Les and Les, meaning I'm Les, to support the lesbian community. Weibo reversed a ban on gay content at roughly the same time last year after a similar outcry. 
Even though there's some support on social media, difficulties remain for the country's LGBTQ students. A recent national survey published by Beijing Normal University suggested few schools on the Chinese mainland actually provide resources for such students, and many teachers don't pay much attention to such issues. The Beijing Normal University survey showed that Chinese LGBTQ students were at a great risk of suffering psychological distress. About 85% of respondents felt depressed, and around 40% had suicidal thoughts. Thanks, Ada. Let's turn now, as we do each week, to some of Caixin Global's reporters and editors for a closer look at some of the news of the week. This week, Tanner Brown, co-producer of this show and head of real-time news at Caixin Global, is going to give us a rundown on some important legal cases involving three prominent individuals. Tanner, all yours. So, Kaiser, I, I I thought it'd be fun to update you on the um, the legal woes of the week. There is never a dearth of material here, but there were so many that I thought we could just digest them really quickly. Um, we don't have a lot of time to get into which of these may be motivated by legitimate potential corruption or illegal activities versus political machinations. Um, maybe you can have Chris Buckley on regular Seneca again, and he can explain uh, better than I would. Um, so here are three just very brief, superficial updates on a couple of defendants' situations. The first is just that uh, Meng Wanzhou, she is the CFO, a big figure at Huawei, which is a um, Chinese telecom company with ties to the government that's under a lot of scrutiny lately. She was arrested in Canada. Months ago, it's caused a big fracas and a lot of tension between Canada and China, and which has spilled over. She was arrested at the bequest of the U.S. There's no huge news here. It's just that her legal team has announced that they're going to ask for what what's being termed a stay of extradition, not a stay of execution, but a stay of extradition, meaning they're just going to try to prolong the amount of time that it is decided upon whether she's extradited to the U.S. Uh, the Canadian government just allowed her to move from one of her mansions in Vancouver to a second $10 million mansion in uh, a more private area of Vancouver. And keep in mind, all this is going on while what some are calling retaliatory measures of uh, two Canadians that have been arrested uh, in China remain in cells with scant access to to legal representation or to their embassies. Okay, so that's case number one. The next case is another Hmong. This is Hmong Hongwei, who listeners might remember as the former head of Interpol. He's actually was the first Chinese head of Interpol, the sort of international police cooperative. And this was a bizarre case. It, a lot of readers had a lot of interest in this case because Number one, uh, he was the head of Interpol, which is in charge of tackling crime. And secondly, uh, late last year, he, he just disappeared. His wife made phone calls to Western Press to report his disappearance. Nobody knew anything about him. It was very bizarre. Uh, China seemed to have handled it very unsmoothly. Later, earlier this year, China officially, you know, ordered his arrest, and we haven't really heard much since. And the latest news this week, which is not huge news, but it's just that prosecutors have formally filed charges against him, uh, saying that he had taken advantage of his position and acquired what the court called huge amounts of bribes. 
So we have a little bit more information on what he has alleged to have done. Another case is the Communist Party chief of Yunnan province. And as you know, the Communist Party chief of a province is is in, in many ways more powerful than, say, the governor. So it's the top party official of Yunnan has turned himself in to party anti-corruption authorities. Uh, his name is Qin Guangrong. He's 68. And um, there's uh, probably two things to note of this case. One is that he is the father of Qinling. Qinling was the, the head of uh, Huarong Investment. Now, you may, we're getting into the weeds here, but Huarong was an investment asset management company that fell under scandal they disposed of bad assets. Uh, they were they were state run. They disposed of bad assets, um, but fell under scandal. And the son Chiling himself, a while back, came under investigation and and may still be under investigation. But so uh, what's happening now is uh, his father, the top Communist Party Hancho in Yunnan, has turned himself into authorities. So that's point number one to know. This is Huarong connection. Point number two, we all know the corruption breadth in China is um, a bit laughably wide, but this new fallen chief, uh, Qin Guangrong, he's the fifth senior Yunnan official to have fallen in in, in Xi's anti-corruption campaign since late 2012. In fact, this guy, this recent guy, Qin's predecessor, Bai Anpei, he was party chief for, for quite a while, from 2001 to 2011. He was sentenced to death uh, a couple years ago. Uh, he got a reprieve, but um, he was sentenced to death for bribery. So Yunnan has not slacked off in playing its part in um, breeding or fostering alleged corruption. Great, Tanner. Thanks so much for the update and good talking to you. Well, it was nice to talk to you. I'm sad to say we'll probably n- never see another case of corruption in China again, ever So I'll probably never talk to you again. So goodbye. Au revoir, Kaiser. (laughs) I'm afraid you're right, Tanner. This must be the very last case of corruption ever in all of the rest of history. But it's been been nice knowing you, man, and and, and good working with you. So uh, I guess until next week. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Syndicate Business Brief is powered by SupChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Tyson Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Lee Sien of Tyson Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out all the other shows about contemporary China in the expanding Seneca network. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Subscribe to our newsletter at SupChina.com. Take care.